0: But the aim of de-escalating is this. Remove threats, reduce emotions, resolve the problem later.
1: And that last bit, I think, is one that many people who work with kids in school, I think that's one of the things they find difficult because there's a temptation to fall into the trap into thinking that you've got to dispense instant justice, resolve problems very, very quickly, especially when there are other kids around and watching. Around the world, so you'll get to hear the latest evidence based strategies before anyone else. This is the School Behaviour Secrets Podcast. Hi there, my name's Simon Currigan, and welcome to this week's episode of School Behaviour Secrets, when French philosopher and writer Albert Camus wrote, There is no more dreadful punishment than futile and hopeless labour. He probably wasn't thinking about the hours we spent producing the previous 132 episodes of School Behaviour Secrets, but if the cat fits, I'm joined today by my co-host, who is anything but pointless, Emma Shackleton. Hi, Emma.
0: Wow. What an introduction. (laughs) Anything but pointless. (laughs) Thanks for that. (laughs) Go on, you're going to ask me a question then?
1: Yeah, let's get into it. Have you ever been involved in a situation that unexpectedly escalated you and you weren't sure what to do to calm things down?
0: Oh, yeah. Yeah. Quite a few times, actually. Thinking about in my early teaching career, I've got a really vivid memory of a very angry mum storming up to me at the end of the school day and shouting that I had accused her son of being a liar. I hadn't actually, but that's not the point of this story. I can still really vividly remember my reaction to this situation. Shall I tell you what I did? Well, I'd like to say I put on my metaphorical cape and totally calmed everything down with my soothing dulcet tones. But you see, this was quite early on in my career before I learnt about all this stuff. So what I did was I froze. Yep, stood there while this woman hurled abuse at me and then turned tail and stormed off. I bet
1: you wish you'd known then what you know now.
0: Well, exactly, yeah, that would have been really handy. But you do tend to learn as you go along in education and in life, don't you? So now I think I'd have a much clearer idea of what to do. But anyway, how is this all relevant to today's episode?
1: Well, in today's episode, we're going to look at de-escalation, working with kids who are emotionally heightened and helping them get calm and regulated. And we're going to share a four-step formula for successful de-escalation that anyone can learn and start using right away, whether you're a teacher or a parent for that matter.
0: Sounds good. But before we jump into the details, I've got a quick request to make. If you're enjoying this show, please could you leave us an honest rating and review on your podcast app right now. This tells the algorithm to share the show with more listeners just like you, and it means that we can help more teachers, children and parents. And remember that you can go back and listen to previous episodes of School Behaviour Secrets anytime you like. They're all there for the taking.
1: And with that, it's time to grab a toothpick. And yes, I pronounced it tooth. I'm from the Midlands. That's how we say it. It's time to grab a toothpick and prize out the fingernail dirt
0: we call behaviour. It's definitely tooth. But anyway, I'm going to move on swiftly. <laughs> So today we're going to look at how to de-escalate pupils' behaviour and a short framework we call the Elder framework, with Elder spelt E-L-D-R. It's a simple framework we teach as part of our Successful Supervisors programme that anybody can use, whether you're a teacher, a lunchtime supervisor, a parent or a school leader. It's short and sweet, but it works. But before we get to that, we need to think about what de-escalation actually is.
1: So de-escalation is about how we support people who are experienced heightened or escalated emotions. When that happens, when someone becomes very anxious or angry or frustrated, what's happening in their body is they're getting an increase in the amount of stress chemicals sort of flooding around their system. And the stress chemicals that are associated, say, with anger are adrenaline, which I'm sure everyone's heard of, there's a partner chemical called noradrenaline, and there's another chemical called cortisol, which is actually widely known as the stress chemical. And if you're listening abroad, especially in North America, you'll know these as uh, adrenaline is called epinephrine, and noradrenaline is called norepinephrine, if I'm pronouncing that correctly, along with the word surf, I might get that wrong. When you've got all those stress chemicals flooding around your system because you're finding a situation is anxiety provoking, or you feel like your body feels like it's in a situation where it might have to, protect itself in a life or death situation, that causes something called amygdala hijack. And what happens is it shuts down activation in an area of your brain called the prefrontal cortex. And that deals with the executive functions, things like cause and effect. If I do X, then Y will happen. It deals with thinking ahead. It deals with thinking logically and processing language if you want a breakdown of the key executive functions that you see children needing to survive and do well in school, go back a couple of episodes to episode 129 because we did dig into those in
0: detail. So let's give a concrete example then. Let's imagine we've got a student in school and somebody accidentally bumps into them in the cloakroom and the student perceives that as a physical attack, especially if the other child laughs or makes light of it. The student becomes heightened and they react as if they are now in a life-threatening, life-or-death situation. So they lash out, they're shouting, they're punching the other student.
1: So here's something we commonly see, which you might, in inverted commas, call the problem. There'll be adults nearby who jump in and immediately respond and try and resolve the issue. So the first thing they'll do is separate the children so there's no physical danger. First of all, we do have to keep children safe. That's absolutely the right thing to do then because they can see children in distress, what they'll do is they'll try and resolve the problem. But the issue is resolving the issue requires the part of the brain that's been turned off because of amygdala hijack. So processing language, thinking about other people's points of view, being able to articulate the way you feel being able to understand that if I do X, it leads to Y. All those sort of logical and social functions, the part of the brain that deals with them is turned off. The adult is not going to have success because they're trying to communicate with a part of the brain that isn't available to the child, and the child just gets more frustrated because they feel like the adult doesn't understand them. Also, another problem they'll have trying to resolve the issue immediately is that their nervous system won't allow the child to calm down while they're still in close proximity to the threat, the other child in this instance, because it's highly sensitive. And this makes perfect sense when you think about it. So so imagine you are a caveman and you walk out of the cave and you see, and it is company policy at this point, it's got to be a saber-toothed tiger. Right, A caveman is always being confronted by saber-toothed tigers. There's a saber-toothed tiger and the body's activation system, the body's autonomic nervous system is going to kick in, pump out loads of stress chemicals, get the caveman ready for a fight or flight situation, then what the caveman cannot just do is just stand there. The caveman is not going to become calm while the body perceives there's a physical threat. And that's what we've got in the situation with our two children. If one of them is seeing the other child as a physical threat, then we're not going to be able to de-escalate them and get them calm because the deep underlying evolutionary biology that's driving their actions is still really, really heightened. So it turns out that the adult trying to help and deal with the issue at the immediate time it happens can actually make things worse because to the heightened child, the adults position themselves as someone who doesn't understand or as someone who is keeping them close to a direct physical threat.
0: Yeah, so trying to deal with the issue can actually sometimes create more escalated behaviour than reducing it, ironically. The adults are doing this with the best of intentions They don't want the pupils to be upset for any longer than necessary. But the aim of de-escalating is this. Remove threats, reduce emotions, resolve the problem later.
1: And that last bit, I think, is one that many adults, teachers, teaching assistants, learning mentors, people who work with kids in school, I think that's one of the things they find difficult because there's a temptation to fall into the trap into thinking that you've got to dispense instant justice, resolve problems very, very quickly, especially when there are other kids around and watching. So we need to delay resolving the problem. But that's different from letting the other children in the room think that you're not going to resolve the problem. Anyway, introducing the elder framework. And remember, it's ELDR. And the E stands for, first of all, we need to deal with emotions. Because The child is experiencing amygdala hijack and their nervous system is very, very sensitive because the amygdala has identified what it's thinking is a physical threat. And unless we deal with their emotions, we won't be able to make any progress towards that resolution. So our first focus has to be, we are going to guide the pupil's emotions down. It's like landing a plane. They're high in the sky. You know, there's lots of energy. We need to bring them down safely. That's going to involve co-regulating
0: them. Yeah. And remember that the child will often stay heightened all the while that they are in proximity to the threat or the problem. So we need to move the threat away. So in the instance, in the cloakroom with the children where one's bumped into the other one and it's all gone a bit wrong, it's probably going to be easier to move the other child away. So that's sometimes the best course of action move the other child away if it's difficult to move the child who's upset or distressed. Or if the problem is a piece of maths, for example, move the maths away. Because while the perceived threat is still there and visible, even spoken about, it's going to be really, really hard to calm down. And this is just going to prolong this episode. And we've got to accept That it's going to take longer than we think for those chemicals that Simon spoke about to drain away. Really interestingly, scientists have taken blood samples from people when they've been very upset or angry or overwhelmed. And what they've learned is that it can take around 40 minutes or longer. It could be up to four hours for those chemicals to have drained away and for that person to return to their baseline state. So, sometimes in schools, we might say to a child, you know, go and sit in the book corner, have five minutes, time out. But actually, realistically, at the end of that five minutes, we've got to appreciate that they are not going to be fully calm.
1: So, E means our first priority is to deal with emotions and not rush in and try and resolve everything. The L that follows is location. Now, to aid with that child becoming regulated again, what we can do is move the child to another location, another room in school that's ideally some distance away from where the issue took place. If it took place you know, on the playground, we want to move them to a room where ideally they cannot even see that location through a window. And there's a reason for this. There's an effect called the doorway effect. And when your brain moves through a doorway into a new location or you move from place to place, It reinforces the sense that you are somewhere different, that you're away and that you're safe. The emotions continue to go down. We're landing the plane. We're getting the child co-regulated. So we deal with emotions first. And then our next aim is to switch location. We're not going to stay in the same place.
0: Okay, so we've had E for emotion, L for location. Next comes D and the D stands for distraction. So as we've said, while the student's brain is still focused on the threat, while they are still thinking about the problem, those stress chemicals are going to keep pumping out and the child will stay in that heightened place. Now we've moved location so that they can't see the other student in this instance and they're in a room where they can't see the location so they no longer can see the cloak room. You've taken away the physical presence. So now it's time
1: we've removed the physical presence to actually remove the psychological presence or threat, which is the child thinking about the event that's just happened that's caused them to be heightened. The brain does something really, really interesting. When we're remembering an event, you can replay the emotions that you were having at the time. And your brain doesn't really distinguish between emotions that you're replaying and events that happen in actual time. If you think back to maybe a sad event, maybe the death of someone you loved or a pet that you loved, or maybe a breakup with a spouse or a partner from the past, you can experience those emotions almost as strongly as you did at the time. Now, what we're going to do to avoid those automatic thoughts coming up and the child dwelling on what's just happening and thinking about it, instead of talking to them about it, which is going to bring that Psychological threat back into the room and create more heightened emotions. We're going to use lots of distraction. We're going to get their mind off it. So they're physically away and they're mentally away from the incident that's just happened. So that's going to depend on the individual child. You're going to have to use your own particular knowledge of them. You want something they're going to enjoy and find absorbing. So it might be an activity or getting them involved in a favorite topic or doing some mindful coloring or talking about. Anything but the incident, it might be giving them an iPad or a game. Use whatever it takes. We want their focus to be anywhere, but what's just happened. And I actually used to work with someone who was brilliant at this. She distracted heightened kids so well. She could talk about her life in such detail. The kids would start to be very, very focused on an event that just happened, an injustice. You know, they got the child who's just had someone run into them. They felt it was a personal attack the way she spoke to the children, she would just get them off topic and she would just lead them down this path of conversation. At first, they would be very resistant, but then she would kind of hook them in into an entirely different topic. And before they knew about it, they were talking about the gardening she was doing at home or a film they'd watched. And it was a really effective way of distracting them away from the issue that was provoking those heightened emotions.
0: Yeah. So what we're doing here is just switching tack, aren't we? We're trying to get the brain moved off. The problematic thinking or dwelling on the incident, we're trying to switch that into something non-threatening now. And it's really important that the adults don't bring up the incident again, don't talk about it until they are sure that the child is no longer in that heightened state. And there is a bit of a trap here. This has happened to me quite frequently, especially working in pupil referral units, Where kids have said to me, I'm all right now, miss. Or they've even said, I'm calm now. And I've thought, brilliant, they're calm now. And I've started to talk about the problem or what went wrong, trying to have that coaching conversation to help them deal with it next time. And as soon as I've brought the issue up again, boom, they fired up, going up instead of coming down. So we've got to tread carefully. We've got to understand that. They are in a hypervigilant state. Any mention of the thing that went wrong is going to set them off again. And even when children say, I'm okay now, or I'm calm now, they might not really be in a position to know that because the clever and sensitive and intuitive parts of their brain are not working so well because they're still in that amygdala hijack.
1: So we've looked at emotion, we've looked at location, we've looked at distraction. Now it's time to look at the final R, which stands for resolution. Now the child is calm, it's time to resolve the situation. And for that, you use whatever system is preferred in your school. Your school might use something like emotion coaching. It might use restorative practice. It might use some specific form of post-incident learning. You might have some CBT-style reflection conversations. You might talk about boundaries and consequences. You follow the policy, whatever your school adopts. This is the conversation that you were trying to have during the incident, but what you should find now that they're calmer, and amygdala hijack is no longer a problem, those executive functions, that calm, sensible part of their brain is back in charge, that you can have an impactful conversation, a reasonable conversation about what happened, and that might involve some coaching. It might be resolving the argument with the other child. Now the child is in an emotional state where they can engage in that conversation productively and learn from it it's going to have an impact. It's all about timing. Trying to have that conversation too early can actually fuel dysregulation rather than de-escalate the child.
0: That's the elder formula then, but we have got a cheeky bonus extra R to add on as well. And this is a really key component that often gets forgotten when there's been an incident. So our little bonus R is to remember to reboot the relationship. So remember to go back and have a conversation with the child, especially if the child was angry with an adult. But ideally, you would do this repair between students as well. But make sure you have the opportunity to bring the people back together who were involved and get their relationship back on a good footing. If we forget to do that, this leads to resentment children go away from a situation feeling like it hasn't really been resolved, maybe feeling like the grown-up is cross with them or doesn't like them, or feeling like that about another adult. And over time, this really does erode relationships and it stores up future problems. So it's really important that whatever has happened, we're able to draw a line under it and let that child know that everything is okay now. We like them, we care about them, we want them to be there, let's have a fresh start. What we don't want is for them to go away and worry or stew on a problem or think about something that's happened and feel like people don't like them or don't care about them. So that's a little cheeky bonus R. So that's our four-part or maybe five-part framework for simple de-escalation. We've called it the Elder framework where E is for managing emotions.
1: L is for changing location.
0: D is for distraction.
1: R is for resolution.
0: And then potentially a bonus R for rebooting the relationship. So if you've found our framework for de-escalating heightened pupils and resolving issues in school helpful, then we've got a free download that you might like. It's called How to Help Children Manage Anger, and Other Strong Emotions. Whoa
1: Emma, slow down there, that title's a bit obscure. What's that download about?
0: (laughs) This download takes you through a proven approach to teaching regulation techniques to school-aged children and will even give you resources to print out and use with your students. All you need to do to get your guide is visit beaconschoolsupport.co.uk, click on the free resources section near the top and you'll find this resource near the top of the page. Remember, it's called How to Help Children Manage Anger and Other Strong Emotions.
1: And if you've enjoyed today's show and you haven't subscribed yet, it's time to get a wriggle on. Open your podcast app now while the show is still playing and hit the subscribe button and then your app will automatically download each and every episode as it's released so you never miss a thing. Warning, subscribing to School Behaviour Secrets has been associated with side effects such as social embarrassment and deep regret.
0: I hope you have a brilliant week and we look forward to seeing you next time on School Behaviour Secrets. Bye for now. Bye.